Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality. We're so glad that you are here and we are interviewing Carmel Wilson. Hey, you did hey, it right. Hey, hey. <laughs> and, uh, Thanks for joining us on Spirituality Adventures. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So let's jump into your story. Like tell <laughs> tell our audience where you're from and where you grew up and all that kind of stuff. All right. I'm Carmel and I'm from Kansas City, born and raised. Um, I'm the only one out of my entire family born in Kansas City. Everyone was born in California. So that's nice to be reminded my, by around Christmas. So, um, I'm 34, I am a coordinated entry specialist and I love music and I love life, love experiencing it. We're gonna get to kind of your, your career and your, your passion for, for helping people who, would you say, would, would it be accurate to say are on the margins? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but let's first kind of dive into your, just your backstory a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about your family growing up. What kind of family did you grow up in? Was it a permissive family? Was it strict? Uh, um, was your faith background, all those kind of things. So I grew up um, first part of my life in a single family household with my mom and my four siblings. And then my stepdad came in when I was around eight and he's been amazing ever since. Um, and I mean, it's not, it's an, probably like, blended family you know i have two step siblings and we we didn't really grow up um specifically any religious we just my mom grew up methodist and i went to church at north cross with my friend and i became a part of the youth group there and i really enjoyed it um enjoyed being a part of a group that believed in something that had you know a purpose and then i saw them volunteering for individuals and that looked really interesting to me too. So then I third grade came around and I wanted to learn sign language. So I did that for summer school for three months and I just started helping the deaf kids in, in my school sign and communicate. Wow. Yeah, that was really fun. And I don't know, I just, I think I just grew up in a non-traditional house, but my mom is very open-minded. Again, my mom's actually a Pisces, so she's very open-minded and accepting and understanding. Um, so anytime I had questions about religion, you know, we, I remember asking her, mom, do you believe in God or, cause we went to church, but I've never, you know, I'd never been to church actively with my mom. Like she always liked to, search around for different churches but living in the northland we never found a church that really we were comfortable at so we would go downtown to churches down there that would be more comfortable for us mm -hmm. um like when you say more comfortable i mean 
Are you talking about black churches? Yeah, versus like there's not a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a lot of African American churches there, up north, and there's not. There's a couple, but yeah, yeah, there's there's really not a lot. I I remember being a part of a church when my husband and I got married, and literally I was only the only African American in that church, wow. and it was so uncomfortable and awkward. And I was like, I don't know why I feel like this here, but it was weird and. You know, going to an African-American church is to me, it's very uplifting because I only grew up around. I grew up around a lot of white kids. Mm -hmm. So when I'm around a lot of African-Americans, it feels good to be around someone like me and mm -hmm. experiencing things like me. And I really like yeah. I try to instill that in my kids, even though they're mixed. I want them to know, like, you know, you need to know your culture. You need to befriend different people of your culture. Like I can say that I have black friends, but in high school, I really, there weren't a lot of us there. I had like three maybe, mm -hmm. and they were kind of, the girls were just kind of like me, you know? So I just grew up kind of just following my own path and my own footsteps. Yeah. Interesting. What, do you remember some of the names of the black churches that you attended? I don't, okay. I really don't. And it's weird because I went to, I went with my grandparents a lot. Okay. So they lived off Emmanuel Cleaver on mm. Chestnut and I stayed with them a lot on the weekend. So I would get my church outfits ready to go at my mom's yeah. house. And I mean, at my, at my grandparents' funeral, they were, everyone was like, I remember you in church all the time eating your grandma's sweets. And I was like, I did, or like mm -hmm. singing with the choir and just hanging out. But I don't remember a lot. I think I stopped going probably 12 or 13 when okay. I started getting into sports and, yeah. you know, cheerleading and friends and all that. But I really enjoyed it though. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, you know, I pastored this church for 28 years up here in the Northland. And I mean, it was pretty white though. We, we would have had uh, some representation from the Asian Hispanic and black community. Mm -hmm. Right. But not, I mean, it still would have felt like a white church, even though you, you could have found, you could have looked around and probably found a couple other black folks, or if mm -hmm. you're Asian, you could have found a few other, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But, but I always partnered really heavily with the African-American churches and the Latino churches in our urban core. Mm. So I have a lot of relationships with the, with the black churches in Kansas city worked with them for years. And then when I went through what I went through three years ago, um, I decided just when I started going to church again in 2019, I, I went to uh, Macedonia Baptist Church, which is the largest historic black church, I think, in Kansas City, Missouri proper. Mm. And the pastor there is a guy named John Brooks. There's actually three Brooks pastors that are, that are black in Kansas City. Yeah, there's an Alvin Brooks. Years Aren't they ago. brothers? No. They're not? No, they're not why brothers. Do I, why do I there's Michael so Brooks, much? who was one of our city councilmen. Michael's one of my very close friends. He pastors. He used to pastor uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church. Now it's called Oasis Church. Mm, I've heard that one. And then John Brooks is the pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church. And when John started there, like almost 20 years ago, it was at 24th and Benton, mm. yeah, in the in the core, mm -hmm. and um, and it was a small church, but it's grew, grew, grew. Now they're at, now they're on um, just off a of, uh, I seven or seventy one highway on Linwood, mm. right on Linwood and seventy one, and it's a it's a great church. I've gone there for about two and a half years now, and I'm one of the very few white people <laughs> in the church. 
Does that feel weird? And well, I love it. But when when, but, it, when you first were apart, was it like I'm the only white person? Here? So you know what was interesting, and in, before COVID, mm-hmm. um, I so I started attending there toward the end of 2019, and then February 2020, I was attending there, and that was right before everything shut down on COVID. So if you remember, like. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of shut down in March of 2020. I loved it. <laughs> but I, so I went through uh, Black History Month, mm-hmm. February 2020, in a black church as like maybe four other white people mm-hmm. out of 1,500 people or so, right? Mm-hmm. And I loved it and the music. And like it was the first time I'd sung the Black National Anthem yep. in a church, you know, and and I was in such a difficult place and the music, like the music is an hour and a half long. And oh, yeah. I love their worship guys, their, their song leaders got him, Tim, I love Tim. And he, it just was healing to me, like the music and the way it talked about the struggle and bondage and all these darkness and, you know, mm-hmm. light and overcoming and all these themes that are so important to the to the black experience in america mm-hmm. right it's in yeah. their songs yeah like the definitely. struggle for from from slavery to freedom it's mm-hmm. all in the music and i yep. and in a different way in a spiritual way i felt like i was kind of in bondage and needed to move into freedom so those songs felt really anyway well, enough about me but i i i, uh, <laughs> I like it <laughs> i i connect with the that community and mm-hmm. so i can see why you would have enjoyed it and oh definitely felt at home and, mm-hmm. felt accepted yeah. and at peace and yeah. you know really really people talk to me and it was it's nice it's very nice very cool so um you were involved in music what other things were you involved in, in high school um cheerleading friends i had a I, I was so i was a part of the you know i was a cheerleader all four years of high school but i had a lot of different friends i didn't have that one specific group of friends i was friends with a lot of different people i mean i think matt could tell you like i was just friends with a lot of just random people but uh i just i i really loved being active and social in high school and experiencing and knowing different people in high school like just nice yeah and Matt Cox, our <laughs> awesome producer videographer, is our is the connection here. Too. Yeah, he, he introduced me to you, so so cool. Yeah, so out of high school, what what was your path out of high school? So um, I I got pregnant after high school, and I really between that time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't think any 18 year old, 19 year old knows what they want to do after high school. I think you're just, you know, if you're a parent thinking that they're not going to know, they've been in school for 12 years being told what to do and institutionalized. And now they're free to think what they want and do what they want now. And I knew that I was going to be a good mom and that's what I wanted to do. So I devoted, you know, my life to being a good mom and making sure that Piper and I were good and, you know, independent and whatnot. And I think I didn't start really thinking about what I wanted to do till I was like 24. I was in the business development department at Lexus Hendrick North. And I was like, man, you know, I don't want to help sell cars to people. I think that's pointless. I don't want to do that. Like selling a car to a single parent. Yeah, that's great. 
I would rather do that than sell a $50,000 car to a person who's just pouring money down the drain, using it for nothing. So I decided to go to school for medical office administration. And then I was a chiropractic assistant and I didn't want to collect people's money. And I didn't, I wanted to do more than just write down billing and coding and schedule appointments for doctors. I didn't want to do that. So I decided to get out of that into nonprofit and I'm find, um, that's where I found DPS. And I started helping people find jobs, helping people who had a disadvantage find jobs and did that for five years. Tell, so you, you said initials. You said that's where I found what? Um, that's where I found my, like my initial, like I like to help people. No, and you, I, you said three initials, I thought. Like oh, DPS. DPS. Yes. Department. Oh, um, Diversity or, Placement Services. Okay. Yes. Um, so they provide job development to people who are disabled or felons. Okay. And that is what I did for five years. Okay. So that was very, very fulfilling. And I really enjoyed it. You know, calling I someone up. I didn't even know I don't, I wasn't even familiar with this. Oh yeah. And so addicts like and everything. Program um, it's a federal through, program? It's through vocational rehab through the state. And I worked with felons. I worked with addicts. I worked with single parents, people who had major disabilities, people who had limited sex offenders, you know, people who murder people, you know, all kinds of individuals. And I learned not to judge everybody. Mm. Don't judge everybody. I mean, I had one like bad mishap with a client, but that was it, you know, and it really opened me up to wanting to do more for people. And then when I told my husband this, he goes, what more could you possibly be doing? And I'm like, just more. So I <laughs> say that, say the name of this one more time, uh, diversity placement services, diversity placement services. Mm -hmm. And this, this literally is helping people with, um, jobs, yeah. employment, yeah, permanent employment. So either with, physical or um, disabilities physical or mental or mental mm -hmm. and then also just with you know just with difficult track records yeah, of, yeah like like barriers you know mm -hmm. barriers that may have been created by yourself or you know just in in general life mm -hmm. barriers you know did you work with more men or women men worked with more men yeah and we also worked with uh, juniors in high school too okay mm -hmm. and was it fairly diverse in terms of the the yeah. uh, ethnicity of the people oh, you're yeah. working with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. I, I helped a lot of different people, you know, um, there was like, you know, there's just people who need help and no one wanted to take a chance on them. And mm -hmm. when you find someone who actually wants to take a chance on you, it's like a breath of fresh air. Right. So, Man, that's so important. Finding people who believe in you again, even mm -hmm. after you've screwed up. Definitely. I can, I can, I've needed that. <laughs> hey, everybody needs it sometimes. Everybody needs yeah. it sometimes. I talked yeah. to this guy on the phone who could not believe that he was homeless. Like he couldn't fathom the fact that he was in this position and he was just beside himself and thought he was just so much better than that. And I said, listen, it's life. And sometimes life kicks you mm. and you need help sometimes getting up and then that's okay. And he was just, he was just beside himself. He could yeah. not. And I tell him that sentence every time he calls me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Good for you. I love that. So cool. So, um, so back up just a bit and like out of high school, you, you're 19, mm -hmm. you're a mom. Mm -hmm. um, are you a single mom at yeah. this point? Mm -hmm. I'm All a right. single mom. Mm -hmm. And, and you're working 
you, you go to school? Um, yeah, I did. You go to school. <laughs> you're a single mom. I oh. actually, I actually went to Maple for two years before I even met my husband. That is when I started school. But yeah, I, I, I went. To, you're right. I went to school and was single mom and worked full time. Yeah, you're one <laughs> I think of those. about it. And I'm like, oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, I, I had. Um, when I was pastoring, I had a lot of women in your, in that category, mm -hmm. you know, where they were working full time, single moms. I had yeah. a good support group though. Yeah, yeah. But they, they were some of the most amazing women I'd ever met. Seriously. And, uh, I, I started, I started calling them my heroes <laughs> really because they just were so, uh, devoted to their kids, to their mm -hmm. family. They worked their butts off and yet they were generous. They cared for people. They, they related to people who were on the margins because mm -hmm. they, because they were in a challenging place, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just found that that, that group of people in, in the church were, were good at giving back. They were very yes. good. They're some of the most generous. They were some of the most generous people I ever, I ever met. Mm -hmm. That's good. Truly. You know, that was something I always, generosity was something in all of its manifestations, you know, not just with money, but just with time and your heart and love and, you know, just helping people out. That kind mm -hmm. of thing. Very cool. So you meet your husband. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you, what, what were you doing when you met him? Um, I was invited to actually a party he was throwing at his house and I met him and um, I think a week later, two weeks later, he asked me on a date. Yeah, and, and and our first date, I didn't even know he went to high school with me. Like he went to the same high school as I did, but I didn't know him. So I felt kind of like he remembered me, but I didn't remember him. I felt bad. <laughs> well, you were a cheerleader. Well, he played football and I didn't even realize like, okay. oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. So um, you guys, so what? What were some of the most difficult things you went through in in that early stage of your life? Um, just people not taking me seriously. Um, that was the most annoying factor. I look so young and when you know exactly what you want to do, no one wants to take you seriously when you're young. And I think that was just, and I was just kind of, they treated me like I was another st statistic, you know, single African-American mom. That was it. You know, I had food stamps, you know, I, but I was still working and still trying to live without those things, you know? And I quickly noticed that the more money I tried to make, the less the state wanted to help, even though I still needed their help. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you get food stamps, you can't make over this amount because then we'll take them from you, you know, things like that. And I was like, really? That's just ridiculous. But that's just how I feel like they keep you on that spectrum of needing their help. But yeah, I, I quickly learned that if people are gonna, if I'm gonna try and get people to take me seriously, I kind of have to be persistent. And a little aggressive and I'm not an aggressive person. So it just kind of had to be persistent. <laughs> yeah. So that's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to have a lot of inner strength to yeah. keep moving. 
Well, and Ford and I have a really good co-parent co-parenting relationship with my oldest. Her daughter, her dad is really, really great at communicating with me. I mean, she's been going there for weekends since she was one. So mm-hmm. we're really good at working things out and communicating, even with my husband, like all three of us, we work really well. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So you go from the uh, DPS. <laughs> Say it one more time. DPS, Diversity Placement Services. So you go from Diversity Placement Services. Mm-hmm. You, you and you right when you started working there, it's about the same time you met your husband. No, right? no. Um. So, what was it? Oh my! Every all the years are just to, starting right. to like mash. Okay, so I met my husband in 2010, and that was when I was just done with my two years at Mabel. And Piper and I had our first apartment to ourselves. And cause we were, we were um, living with my sister and her daughter. We had shared a place together. Who's and, Piper? Uh, my, do- my daughter, okay. my oldest, okay. my baby. She's going to be like, mom, I'm not a baby anymore. But um, we had a place to ourselves. And then 2010, I met my husband and we got married 2013. Yes. A year after we had Aubrey and I just wanted to do something like you never know. I was only like, what, 26? Mm-hmm. You, you when you're in your 20s, I don't think you know what kind of career you want. And I think that's really important to like really acknowledge because I didn't know. I just knew that I was good at helping people and good at listening to people. That is what I was really passionate about was like people and helping and listening. And I think that is like something that I carry with me all the time. You know, if I see somebody needing help I'm and I can help, I'm going to help. So I think like 2013, I was at Hendrick. And then, you know, selling cars and didn't want to do that. So I decided to start at medical office administration. And then I started at um, DPS at 2015. Okay. Yep. And I stayed there till last July. All right. Yep. It was a long road. <laughs> and what did you trans? What did you transition into? Um, Transitional housing. So I work as a coordinated entry specialist. I work with Hillcrest at um, helping people find housing, homeless people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is so fun. That is so fun. (laughs) Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Um, So how, and this is in the Northland Mm -hmm. of Kansas City, right? Yep. Yeah. The particular Hillcrest that you work for, is that Clay County? Um, so I work for Hillcrest KC and we are, we are in Liberty. Okay. Yeah. We are in Liberty, but we help Clay and Platte County. Okay. Yeah. So there, these are all originally, they were kind of all under one one thing. Yeah. And then they all separated. It's still, yeah, there's Hillcrest Platte and Hillcrest, um, lip like KC, we call us Hillcrest KC. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. Hillcrest KC and how do like how would a homeless person even find you guys and connect connect with you and you know um they just like google transitional housing and we are probably the number one that pops up in kansas city um and we go on a lot of lists um, a lot of shelters um they go to our website a lot of people go to our website if you sit here and you my phone's ringing it's people just ringing, calling for assessments or calling for help or some kind of resource. And so you've got enough feelers out to the community, either through 
website, social media sites, so that you pop really fast. If some if if somebody has a phone and they can Google you, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Then you're going to pop up. But then also you're working in shelters. Like, what are some of the shelters that you have connections with and can't say all of them? Um, pretty um, much. Um, they all call City Union Mission, Synergy, um, Green Hills Women's Shelter. Uh, God, and there's not many up north. There's not. And you know that, like, I just made a goal. I started Hillcrest. And like three months later, I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to buy that Kmart building and turn it into a shelter or an apartment complex. And <laughs> supervisor just looked at me and said, hmm. And I was like, you know what? And I'm going to do it under Hillcrest. <laughs> <laughs> that was just something that I was just, you know. And then the CEO was like right behind him. <laughs> And I, that's just because we don't have a lot of low income housing up here. We really, really don't. We yeah. need it. There's so, Section 8 stuff that's but, sprinkled around, you know. Yeah, I love how you said that sprinkled around because yeah. it really is. Yeah. And no one takes it like they used to. They used to. I mean, most of the apartments up north used to be Section 8. And even though they didn't say it, they accepted it. And now most of them don't anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. It's very, very rare. Interesting. I say there's like six. Wow. But Liberty has their own housing authority too. So it's interesting when I, when I started the church back in 90, 91, um, the, the church that I planted, um, I, I didn't have a core group. Mm. So I went like, I did like the door to door to door thing. And I noticed like I was 29, looked like I was probably 16. <laughs> and, um, so nobody took me seriously either, yep, yep. even though I was white yeah. <laughs> and grew up. Doesn't here, matter. You know? You're young. No yeah, one wants yeah, to see I was you. Young and it's like, I'm knocking on doors. And I noticed like when I knock on all the, the pretty nice places, you know, mm -hmm. they just would pretty much shut the door on me. Like, <sighs> and I, and I would be, I had a really low key approach, you know, like I'd introduce myself, say I start a new church and then I just had some really gentle questions, you know, so it wasn't like an aggressive <laughs> approach or anything, but, but so then I just started going to the, you know, like the, the poorest places I could go. Yep. Like, and, and those they, are the people looking for the most hope. In the nineties, it was section eight places. Mm -hmm. So I, yep. I literally knocked on the doors in the nineties of almost all of the section eight places in the Northland. Mm -hmm. And they would virtually invite me into their living room instantly. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, when, when I realized that I started, actually started taking sacks of groceries with me Aww. and then I would go knock and then I, you know, people would invite me in and I would just basically just get to know them and offer to pray if they wanted, had any prayer. They always had a prayer request. Oh, that's guy. That's and nice. I'd always ask if they needed groceries and then I'd go, you know, and so that's how I did it. I, Love just, it. I just delivered groceries and prayed with people and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so I, so I, you know, the church grew and like, I couldn't tell, I could show you all the places I went in the nineties, but I wouldn't know which ones are still. Cause they have different management eight, now, right? And yeah. which ones aren't. And, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if there's new ones, but would you say like, so like in the homeless population, mm -hmm. what are the statistics that are connected to addiction or mental health issues? I think yeah. it's more mental health, if anything. Okay. I think a lot of them are struggling because I just, when you, if you aren't medicated, if you have a disability, let's say it's bipolar, let's say it's um, 
manic depression, bipolar, and schizophrenic. Let's say that mm-hmm. you have to medicate those. Yeah, you have to. And if you don't, things are going to turn inside out so, so fast. Yeah. And the more pe- I, I assess more people who are disabled than anything. You know, I don't get a lot of felons. I get a lot. I get addicts. But most of those addicts have a disability and they have been either abusing their medication or not using their medication correctly or drinking on their medication or doing things that, you know, will alter their mind so much that they are going to have an even worse disability after. So and I and we get like um, I have a list of like um, 30, 60 day programs and I am quick to just shoot those out, yeah. get an email, like, shoot those out. And, like rehab programs. Yeah, yeah. Like Re- I was in. Yes, yes. <laughs> rehab programs, yes. Yeah. I just call it 3060. Like yeah. my, my supervisor was like, what's 3060? And I was like, yeah. oh, you know the program. You know? I, I was sent away for 120 days. <laughs> hey, man, you yeah. look good, though. You look <laughs> <Yeah>. good. At <laughs> any rate. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I was happy about it, you know, but uh, nonetheless, I... Uh, I certainly needed to detox off the Xanax and alcohol for sure. And mm-hmm. even as a person who was in shape and highly successful and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. it still took me down. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, like we like to say that and that that for me, I, I didn't have a corresponding like I, the only thing I would have been diagnosed with prior to that would have been insomnia mm-hmm. and probably that was caused by just like a general anxiety mm-hmm. disorder but that that went that wasn't ever diagnosed the ba- the main way that manifested was insomnia yeah and so way into my 50s was when i finally got tired of not sleeping like mm-hmm. and then i tried to start you know I, anyway <laughs> long story there but <laughs> the point being is that these like mental health issues like what you just named mm-hmm. And then the corresponding ways that people either medicate or self-medicate, um, it's no respecter of persons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a rich or poor thing. It's not, you know, a black or white thing. It's not. It's a, a care about it thing. Yeah. Like people need to care about it to help. Yeah. And it's we had all these like mental health facilities here and now they're all gone and they just let those people out to fend for themselves and then there's waiting lists and waiting lists and waiting lists and they're like i don't know what to do because i'm on the waiting list but i don't know where to what to do from there it's it's a very like what do they do and they need someone to point them and insurances are starting to cover these things Mm -hmm. but the problem is so many times like how many of your clients actually have insurance Oh, none. None. Yeah. Right? Or or if they do, it's because they have SSDI and they have to have insurance because you have SSDI. Okay. So. Yeah. So you've, you somebody calls mm-hmm. and you do a total intake evaluation. Um, I do an assessment and that's normally like 30 to 40 minutes. You know, I learn about them. I learn like their social private discussions, what they don't want, what they do want, if they need someone to live with them, you know, just basic things that you need to know to help somebody. And I also I also refer them to vocational rehab so they can get a job and get a social security card and an ID. Because if you don't, if you notice 
I notice a lot of people don't have an ID or social security card that are homeless. And to get your social security card, you have to mail in your ID. And that is a very frustrating thing because I am one of those individuals because <laughs> I lost mine and I'm like, but I don't want to send my license because then I can't drive. <laughs> so, or like go anywhere. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's that, it's that, that they're dealing with a lot. And I think it's very frustrating when you tell someone they need to go get a job, they're homeless, they need a job, but how are they supposed to get an ID that costs $30 that they need a birth certificate, a place of an address and their social security card? Like, how are they supposed to do that when they have no money? They should probably give them out for free or something. And how do you vote? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They can't even vote. Yeah. Their vote counts too. And right. they can't vote. They uh -huh. can't vote about the things that we're discussing about them. They can't do it. Yeah. So. So uh, would you say that um, what percentage of the people that come to you are single? What percentage are married? What percentage have children? I would what? say. 50% are single people, okay. a lot. Um, Mostly men or women? Both, I'm sure, but. You know, it's weird because when you're single and you're homeless, you could be fleeing from domestic violence. As a woman. Yeah. Typically a woman. But, but the, you know. I had a few men who have like flee domestic violence. Yeah, like I, one was like a very, it was kind of like a really traumatic story and he had just got out of the hospital. She had someone jump him and she was very abusive and she was looking for him. I mean, it was like, a, I got to get you in a hotel and I had to get like supervision to get him in a hotel. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's more of like single women fleeing from domestic violence or men who are felons who can't get jobs, who are in the halfway house or in City Union Mission. I get, I've been getting a lot of calls from City Union Mission, but... Um, it's or children like it's rare if they're homeless and they have children, but that is like get you out of that position because I don't want you sleeping in that car with those babies. Right, like that so is you something. Find, that's that's you a have, thing. You have single moms sleeping in cars, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the thing, and mm -hmm. it's unsafe and it's sad, and it makes me think about me and my kids. Like, and I I looked at my husband. He goes, I don't care if we were divorced. You aren't. That's not no. Absolutely not. And I'm like, and then I asked the woman, why aren't they with their dads? And like, they're fleeing DV. So it's like, would you rather live under a roof getting your getting beat on every day or sleep in a car with your kids? I would choose the car with the kids right. any day, any day. But they're running for their lives. They're trying to figure something out. So, yeah. Have you do you ever get calls? Because, you know, there is a there is a teenage homeless Oh yeah, issue. no, we we take care of the youth as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, you, you got a, a teenager issue. who just is in a typically in an abusive home, or, mm -hmm. and they're so they they get out of there and now they're homeless, right? Mm -hmm. And they're so vulnerable. Oh, right? so vulnerable! It's so sad to see. I was literally like sixteen year olds, like homeless like that's insane to me but there's programs out there too there's job corps we have a youth program at hillcrest and kck you know if you're under 18 they keep you for a year or they keep you until you're 18 you know there are youth programs out there they're not well known doesn't at all. synergy have a they do home? they do they have a youth program right. too they yeah. do um they're a little strict but i think they're really good um i, I just think that 
parents have got to start caring about their kids. I mm -hmm. mean, for real, this is like, if you're a single parent and it's hard, I get it, but don't kick them out. They are, they are going through crap on their own. I almost said the other word, but <laughs> <laughs> they are going through stuff on their own. You yeah. don't need to make it worse by just harping on them or like being crazy to mm -hmm. them. You know, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Do you find, um, like in terms of like, like what's your age, is the age range literally from teenagers all the way to oh, yeah. older adults mm -hmm. age range? I, the oldest adult I've got was 68 years old. Wow. And I tell you, no, 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 I lied. I'm sorry. She was 62. But this was, this was a person that was like, she came in after my dad passed and it was like my first week back to work and she was about to get evicted. And I was like, oh my God. I gotta help this person because I can't let her just go home and be evicted. So I I searched and I worked hard and I got her rent paid for seven months. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, that was my three week. I was working on that for so long, and then I was really happy that that happened. But that was my gotta get. I gotta do something about mm -hmm. this because that woman was the same age as my dad, and I was like, God, this can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And then, do you find is there is it does it seem like there's a, is there more white, black, Latino? Is there any kind of um, mix? Or is it just all over the map that way too? It's really all over the map. Uh -huh. I see I see more of domestic violence and um, addiction right now. Right now yeah. it's, it's those two I'm seeing a lot of. Okay. So much of, I just spoke to a lady who was getting like a lot of money in SSDI. And I said, why, are you, why aren't you renting somewhere? You know, and it's her, it's her disability that's keeping her from doing that paperwork mm -hmm. and filling things out and budgeting and managing her money. Like we can give someone SSDI, but will they be able to budget and manage? Maybe not. She shouldn't be homeless if she's getting, you know, over a thousand dollars a month in disability. Like, you, you know, so it's a lot, like no one's helping anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta find people that, to really devote to help. Mm. Yeah. So you guys not only place them into transitional housing, mm -hmm. how long, what's your longest amount of time that people usually stay in your housing? Cause you, you'll, your stuff is pretty nice, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you and people, if I understand right, do they get it even like if they get into your, let's say they get into one of your apartments, mm -hmm. do they have a little bit of freedom on the furniture? Do so they, they have, no. have a little bit of, no, no, they just get what you, so, okay. but it's all, it's all really nice furniture. Like, yeah. It's like looks new. Yeah. I mean, they come in. So it's and, like a furnished apartment. Yeah, it's a basically. furnished apartment. They don't even need to buy food because there's food there. There's oh, wow. pantry there. There's things that they need, tampons, deodorant, toothpaste, you know, activities that they do as groups there. They help with budgeting. So transition is three months. Mm -hmm. And then typically I tell everyone who's in transitional to sign up with rapid rehousing because that is my part. I assess them for rapid rehousing and rapid rehousing is three months paid rent. And that is when you get out of transitional, you get an accepted to rapid rehousing, you look for your apartment, you, the case manager approves the apartment and we pay three months rent of the apartment. In our youth side, she covers a year. Because you know, like you're a youth and you need help. You need a longer than three months. Right. You know, when you're an adult, you're expected to get your life together in 90 days. Yeah. I don't know how, but I'm managing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, 
after after they are out of the transitional youth program or any of our programs, we we always like to make sure that they're going to be okay mm-hmm. and that they can come back to us whenever they want. Yeah, we're not a one and done kind of situation. Right. It's interesting, you know, um, in the evangelical community, which I grew up in and and was a pastor of, you know, pro life was a big issue, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it's interesting to me that if you pro if if there's a safety net for young women mm-hmm. who find themselves pregnant mm-hmm. in, in maybe less than ideal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a, you know, just providing a safety net. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're not, we've never been great at this, right? As a, as a community. I don't but, think. Yeah, and this is a different issue than the oh, homeless issue, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but to me, it's like you're, we're providing what you're doing is providing a safety net mm-hmm. and, and you're for, for some of our most vulnerable people our homeless population. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that same concept applied to multiple types of vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, but I, they, I have such a passion for that. They stuff also that, have a choice. I mean, you know, you have a choice if you want to get out. Like if you have your identification, if you have your social security card and identification and you have a PO box for your address, what is stopping you from going and doing that job application? Mm-hmm. Like, and you said the the teen, the homeless population with the teens, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of young pregnant girls and mm-hmm. it is very frustrating because I was a huge advocate for Planned Parenthood. They gave out contraceptives. They gave out free contraceptives. Mm-hmm. Those girls used it. I used the contraceptives. And now that they shut down the Planned Parenthood, no one is giving these girls any contraceptives. No one's teaching them. No one's showing them, hey, you can say no. Hey, you can get up and leave. Hey, you don't have to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. No one is doing that at all. So when we when we meet these girls, I literally tell them, you have a choice. You can get out of that situation. He may be with you now, but it's because you're trying to get an apartment and he doesn't want to be homeless either. Mm-hmm. So come on, let's 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 get our yeah. big girl panties on and and get it done. But I, I think that you need like the homeless population and the youth need to know that they have options and they are young and they are willing. If they are willing, they are able. Right there. And the and just knowing that there are resources to help you navigate mm-hmm. your future that's scary. Yes. Yes. Is a huge deal. Yeah. Because they didn't have any help in the beginning. Right. The person who was supposed right. to help them just left them. So people make better decisions about anything mm-hmm. if they feel like there's a little bit of hope in their future and they and they have some they have a few people around them that are advocating for them. Like mm-hmm. you said, like pushing you know, for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can say I can I can honestly say I don't think that I would be as successful as I am now if I did not have like the my mom saying you can do this. My dad say you can do this. Piper's dad helping every weekend. My husband giving me courage. You know, it's a hard, life is hard and mm-hmm. they th- it throws things at you. And I think to have support beyond like a certain boundary is a good, good thing mm-hmm. to have full 100% support, no matter what is a big, big right. thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I love the work you're doing and, um, what, uh, so, at, so you get them into what's called rapid housing. Mm-hmm. So you go from transitional housing to rapid housing to mm-hmm. then 
and then is it then at that point you're you're also helping with jobs and stuff and the goal is yeah, to kind I, of be fully fully integrated so point? i don't i don't help with jobs anymore but i do send out the occasional application like i really do it's pretty bad i did just send someone a fedex application because i knew that they were hiring and i'm still i'm still kind of intertwined with fedex because i got a lot of people hired there okay. so i called the hr person they're like oh yeah we're totally hiring send them over and i'm like okay great so i do that a lot and my supervisor definitely hears me do it. <laughs> but they, they're really like, okay, you did that part of your job, so great. Okay, now you can do something extra for them. As long as you do your main part. And I'm right. like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. What's your job title again? Um, coordinated Entry Specialist. Okay, Coordinated Entry Specialist. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I love that. How can people connect? Like, do you guys work with volunteers? If mm -hmm. people wanted to, help out what are some of the volunteer roles that are needed around this work that you do with the homeless that's a really good question because we have so many um so we have volunteers at all the transitional transitional homes and we actually just started our um, program assistant is now starting to get volunteers in our office we get a lot of people who donate food and clothes. And when they donate them to our office specifically, we give them out to anybody who comes by. Um, all they have to do is go on our website and volunteer and the volunteer coordinator will get a hold of them. But it's a really fun place. We have thrift stores that we need help at too. And you know, most of our company is made up of volunteers and we love that because we really appreciate them. Yeah, so where would they connect what's the website or how would they um, connect hillcrestkc.org okay mm -hmm. hillcrestkc.org i'm mm -hmm. guessing there's a, a landing page there and then there's mm -hmm. a there's um on. there's the page then you click on volunteer tab and it'll have you either fill out a volunteer application or a phone number we just hired someone to handle like all the volunteering for the whole company so give her a minute <laughs> If you want to volunteer, okay. just give her like a quick minute. <laughs> okay. Very cool. What would you want people to know about the work that you do? Like if you could just have a minute to like give a give a quick uh, plug for what you're doing. What would, mm. why, why should people care about this? You know, because everybody deserves somewhere to live. It's a basic human right to live under a roof. You should not just because you're born doesn't mean you have to live on the street. You know, I think it's important to know that other countries don't really, I don't, what did I learn in like Ethiopia? They don't even pay rent. They don't have a mortgage. They don't, they don't do that there. Like they just have a home. And I, I mean, think, I, I was just there in October and I mean, the numbers of women with little babies breastfeeding that live literally are sleeping on the sidewalk. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we just need to start caring more mm -hmm. about in those individuals who need help. Like we really, really do. I think it's important to people who are doing this for a living like me, be patient with us, but also be nice and know that we're helping other individuals while keeping our sanity as well. Like, it's hard hearing those stories every day and then going home to my lovely family and dealing what I'm dealing with. But at the same time, you have to understand that we're helping a lot of people in a short amount of time. And people who like landlords aren't the nicest people right now. They are not. And if you are not making an income, they do not want to rent to you at all. And I think that's important to know, like landlords, well, you know, stop hiking your prices and maybe you would find a good renter. 
but I mean, it is, it <laughs> I is. Know. I just talked to like three of them last week. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's jacking up right now. Mm -hmm. It's so it's frustrating because I'm so right? cheap. <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, like to spend money on things that I like 369 for gas is stupid. Like I was like, uh, I, I Googled your house from mine. And I was like, okay, it's 15 minutes, but like, how can I save the gas? Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, well, if he was closer, I'd like jog or something <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm thankful that I can work from home when I need to work from home. But at the same time, I at diversity, mm -hmm. I drove 500 miles a month for work alone. Yeah. That was it. So what I'm curious in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything, did, did, did that change anything about what you do like the pandemic? So did it make it harder. Did it make it to where there were more people um, did you have more needs and less resources? We had. So when it started in February, this is interesting that you asked that because I was actually working two jobs. And when it started, I was like, man, they're sending me home to work for a whole month. I'm so excited. Like I can spend time with my family because I was working so much that I felt like I wasn't spending time with my family. So I quit the job at KCI airport and I just started just focusing on diversity. And I noticed that a lot of people did not want to get out and work because of this pandemic. But I did notice that a lot of people were changing the way they were thinking about working and about like, are we living to work? Or are we working to live? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I did a lot of soul searching myself. You know, I did a lot of rethinking about how I wanted my life to be and how, what kind of person I am. And I think I've grown immensely these past two years within this pandemic. And I think I learned a lot about myself. And I think that people have almost kind of given up on doing things how can i say this nicely um that the government thinks that they should be doing like working to live in a place to pay expensive housing or you know if people some people think that they should get free food because that's a basic necessity you have to live to eat like those are things. And I think that a lot of people are starting to think like that. Like, I want to live in a smaller place. I want to, I want to live easy. I don't want to work as hard. I don't want to work that 60 hour a week. I want to work 30 hours a week and enjoy my life. I think a lot of people are thinking like that. And I think that people who were already struggling are going to find a harder time getting back on their feet if they're not willing to make the effort mm. because i see a lot of that enableism in my job i see well aren't, aren't you going to look for the apartment for me are you going to do the paper no oh no honey no um you're going to do it and i'm going to pay for it but i see a lot of that enableism mm. and a lot of case managers were already doing that before but now they're having to like carry them into apartments and looking and carry them into jobs like i was the i was one of the people who were enabling them like i was doing people's applications for them just to get them on mm. faster but i didn't teach them anything mm -hmm. and they would argue with me when i made them do it and i'm like yeah. but you have to do something to get this you right. have to do something <laughs> right so it's almost like because the government was actually trying to help more people mm -hmm. they ended up helping people that didn't need help and now those people are relying on that help already i see yeah i mean and, and it's we they should have already 
I loved the stimulus checks. Mm -hmm. I loved them. I mm -hmm. found no problem with them. We bought our house and I was like, all right, great. I'm gonna save these and buy a house. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. But I mean, a lot of people were using them to just, they weren't paying rent and they were using them very irresponsibly. And I noticed that like, if they were homeless and they got a stimulus check, they didn't do much with it, yeah. you know? And I mean, $1,200 to a homeless person is like, oh my God. I can go sleep at a hotel maybe, mm -hmm. or do whatever I want to do with my money, you know? I mean, I even, like before my dad passed, I was trying to get him his stimulus checks because he didn't get any of them. And I thought it was like the weirdest thing to me. Yeah. But it was just, I think that we have to, we have to, we were already helping homeless people before the pandemic, but I think a lot of people helping them were very burnt out. Cause I know I was one of those people. I was very burnt out and really needing a break from, you know, helping others and I need to help myself. And I think that the people now who are, who are done focusing on helping themselves and ready to hop back in. Now the homeless population is like, what do we do? Mm. Cause now there are people who are wanting to work less and focus more on themselves mm. and not so much as homeless individuals. Mm -hmm. So if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I love the work that you guys are doing. It's uh, it's something that I've always had a heart to support and, and have always encouraged people to to network and jump in and volunteer and all that kind of stuff. So um, thank you for the, all of that, that work that you, you've been a thank part you. of. And I, I'm just to kind of a maybe a closing thought, um, you know, for for some of us in the faith tradition, like I'm, I, I still call myself a Jesus follower. Mm hmm. And a part of the thing that I love about Jesus is that he he had a heart for the outcast and the marginalized, mm -hmm. and the sick, and the, the disadvantaged, and, you, and the outsider. I mean, he he intentionally went. That that was his ministry, basically, mm -hmm. was with that crowd, and you know, with, with sort of the super religious, self righteous power crowd group. Mm -hmm. He didn't get along with that group so much, you know? So, and I think, I think that as, you know, for those out there who would consider themselves as Jesus followers, you know, giving some way in some form or some fashion, you know, whether it's money, food, clothing, volunteer time, whatever, to some of these more vulnerable populations, you know, I think is, is very I think it's a part of so many faith traditions, not just mm -hmm. Christian faith tradition, but, but so many. Um, it's, I just think it's important role that we have to play. I think it's important. I think, you know, you're right. It's everybody has got to help everybody. You know, I think it's hard to get up on your feet by yourself. You can't tell me that someone didn't help. Someone didn't give you some kind of inspiring words or some kind of Oh, really? I'm I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be a good day. Mm -hmm. No matter what, I'm going to have a good day, you know? And I think that if it's important to know that be a little empathetic. Be, have a little empathy for people. It's okay. Yeah. It's not going to make you, you know, grow weird hair or a pimple. Right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and don't always have to be so judgmental and try to yes. figure out all, you know, well, they, you know, they wouldn't be there. Da, 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 da. You know, so all those, judgmental. All those judgy things. Yes, like, I hate hey, it. They're there, you know. Yeah. And uh, man, and I, I could have been judged for all that I've done. I'm sure I was by some, but 
um, I'm so thankful for those who kind of just love me anyways and reached out and, and showed that love. So mm -hmm. we all need that. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Carmel Wilson, and uh, encourage everybody, if you want to check out hillcrestkc.org, we will uh, and be happy. I know they will be happy to, to have the volunteer resources that go there. So thanks. Thank thanks you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll see. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.